Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. This is the word of the Lord. Would you take a moment and pray with me? Father, we pray that you will open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, that we may see you and hear from you this morning. May my words be useful to you and your people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I do love to talk about kids. I feel a little bad that I ask them if they like presents, knowing full well they're not going across the story keepers and getting presents today. It's, but Luke is, so that was nice. Always a little curveball when we get, get the kids to come up, and you never know what you're going to get when you ask certain questions. But everybody does like a good present, right? Now, as we get a little bit older, we do recognize, and the old adage is that it's better to give than to receive. is actually more true than we realize, right? But we still often do enjoy a good gift. Some of you might even be in relationships with people who are really good gift givers. Like my wife and I, we have a friend named Chris. He's an amazing gift giver. He makes up for our lack of talent. But there's a beauty about a gift when you find somebody who's a really good gift giver because they somehow just, well, it, the gift reflects what? That they know you. Therefore, a bad gift reflects that they don't. Well, we won't focus on the bad gifts today. Like a $50 Dunkin' card to your wife at Christmas. We won't mention that. Um, yeah, it was a bad one. We learned. But then when the person gives you a gift that shows that they know you, know what you're about, what your interest is, or even surprise you with something you didn't even know about yourself, but then you get it and you realize, oh, that's just right. Think about the, the God of the universe who loves us, who knows us. If he's going to give us gifts, he's going to give us what we really need what we really desire. What, and, and if he's going to give us gifts, it's going to be not just so that you can have a good life or so that you can have a good moment. But who does he gift? He gifts us, the church. The church is the body of Christ, and the characteristic of a healthy body is, 
if every part in it performs its own function. The goal is the good of the whole, but the unity does not mean uniformity, and therefore within the church there are different gifts and different functions. That's how Barclay opened up his section of talking about this passage. You see, you can tell that, that what's most important to Paul about the idea of gifts from God to his people isn't that, oh, what'd you get? It's not Christmas morning where you say, oh, quick, show me, show me the toys you got and I'll show you the toys I got and then we can compare and we can maybe trade and we can do whatever we want with them. No, that's not how God gifts his church. He gifts us with what we need in the moment that we need it for the purpose that he's called us to. Right? He's gifted us with all that we need. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing that Paul wrote in Ephesians. Every gift is a gift from the same spirit. It's designed not for the glory of the individual member of the church, but for the good of the whole and for the glory of the Father. And honestly, if you get that point today, you've gotten the whole necessary point that you need. But Paul goes on to talk about this in this passage. He talks about how the gifts are... concerning the gifts, because apparently there was enough of an issue in the Corinth church that he had to address it in his letter. He had to write about it. You know that when you were pagans, when you were not in Christ, when you were not believers, when you were not people of the covenant, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Holy Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting that he sets up a passage about the gifts with this little litmus test. And sometimes when I read this as a child in our context, I thought, what do you mean? I know lots of people who can say Jesus is Lord and not mean it. I know lots of people who can say, uh, but very few people will say Jesus is cursed. But even if you do because you're outraged or mad or you're a teenager who's mad at the church and you say something disparaging against Jesus, he can forgive you. So I thought, why is this a test? So we have to put ourselves back in the setting that they're in in this church in this time period. Remember, the church is not a big global organization. It's a band of small group of followers scattered across churches. They might know this little group of people, probably half the size that we are here this morning. They know that in the other towns they've heard about that there are other groups like this. But think about that. This size group, say, in the whole of the Kennett Square area, is this a meaningful, significant size group that you can anchor your security and meaning and identity in? Probably not. So you also have to recognize that they're also in the Roman Empire, where any and all religions were fine with Rome as long as you did what? You bent a knee to Caesar. So the reality of this litmus test isn't whether or not you can say the words, it's whether or not you can say and mean and live the words. See, to say that Jesus is Lord automatically implies that Caesar is not Lord. Because the idea that Caesar is a god, which some of the emperors did take on such a fashion, but the idea that Caesar is a god is just a a mute an empty idol. The idea that any and all gods, if you can't add Jesus to a whole host of other gods, can you? So the, the act of saying Jesus is Lord is also professing and proclaiming that Jesus is the only Lord, 
is the highest Lord, is the true Lord, is the living Lord, is your Lord. And again, we live in a world of, you know, where we elect our leaders, and as soon as we elect them, we, we tell jokes about them at 11 o'clock on TV. We don't have this real understanding of lordship. Maybe if you were in the military, you might have a good understanding of authority structures, where you may or may not say something disparaging against a, a, an elevated officer. But in our culture, we tend to just say, oh, someone's a lord, whatever. It's fodder for humor. But not so in this confession. Just a moment ago, we, we profess, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Well, I don't remember the Nicene. I can only do the apostles by heart. But you see, there's these different litmus tests. Is Jesus Lord or is he cursed? Why would somebody say that Jesus is cursed? Well, in the Jewish scriptures, it said anybody who was hung on a tree was cursed. If you ask a, a, a Muslim person today, was Jesus the son of God? Probably not, because he died. And if he was God's chosen, he would not die. You see, there's all these reasons that people could turn their back on Jesus. But he wasn't cursed. And he is Lord. And every single one of our idols is not Lord. So that's the profession that we have, and that's the litmus test. Something that is from God elevates Jesus as Lord, and something that is not from God diminishes Jesus as Lord, seeks to replace him, seeks to move him to the side and weaken his position. So now we get past that litmus test. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit who distributes them. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it's the same God at work. Interestingly enough, and we don't have time for this today, but if you want to have a fun thread to chase, look at how the church fathers took this passage later on and started to mine it and think through this picture of the Trinity. Different gifts, but the same spirit. Different service, but the same Lord. Uh, different working, but the same God. So we have God, Lord, and Spirit. Kind of an interesting depiction of the Trinity in this text. Now to each one that has manifested the Spirit for the common good. To one that is given through the Spirit a spirit of wisdom. Wisdom. Sophia. The knowledge of the things human, the, no, the knowledge of things human and, and divine and of their causes. That's what St. Clement of, 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 uh, of Alexandria said. The knowledge of things human and divine and of their causes. Aristotle defined wisdom as striving after the best ends using the best means. I like that one. I think Aristotle's onto something. Wisdom is striving after the best ends using the best means. To some are given the gifts of wisdom, while others are given the gifts of knowledge. Much more practical than wisdom, the practical application of human life and affairs of wisdom. Knowledge can, knowledge can put wisdom into practice. So you know that some of us are given more ethereal wisdom side of them, and some of us tend to be a lot more practical. Earlier this morning, I had a wonderful discussion with one of our members who doesn't like to lose things. And I encouraged her with, oh, good, because I'm a person who's very good at losing things. I might have left one of our cup fillers up in New York last night. 
Oh, yeah. oh thank you, Olga. You see, each one of us has different gifts. Not all of us are always organized. Not all of us are jovial. Not all of us are winsome. Not all of us are welcoming. Not all of us are on time. Not all of us are late. Not all of us are intellectuals. Not all of us are readers and teachers. Can you imagine if you have a, a class full of teachers? Have you ever been in a class full of teachers? That discussion can drag on a little while and circle around and around and around while it seeks perfection. But if you have a practical teacher, they can get to good enough, and close enough, and we can move on. Here's the different gifts that are recited in this passage. And now there's other passages that talk about gifts. There's some over in Ephesians. There's later on in this chapter. Uh, there's a place in Romans as well. But there's, there's some of the gifts, and they're not exhaustive, but God gives the gift of wisdom. He gives the gift of knowledge. He gives some the gift of faith, some the gift of healing and others miracles, some prophecy or preaching, and some discerning different spirits. To some, he gives the gift of tongues. Others, he gives the gift of interpretation of said tongues. Now, it's interesting that some of these are deemed as the higher gifts, the more desirable gifts, the ones that are at least, well, more fun. They're more exciting. They're more supernatural and kind of uh, got a little more pizzazz to them. Now, I've never personally participated in the gift of receiving or interpreting tongues, but I've heard many a story that give me confidence that if God chooses to speak through the giving of, of an undiscernible language and then somebody stands up and gives the, the hearing and the proof of it, I've heard that stories that I do not disregard that God can speak and manifest that way. I've also heard about times when people were speaking, but somebody else was understanding in a different language. Clearly not something we can generate or manufacture. Clearly not a moment that is beyond, that is, that is within our scope of skill sets. God gives these gifts. Sometimes we learn wisdom through life experience, but we know plenty of people who have plenty of life who still seem to lack some wisdom. We see some people who are, are, are knowledgeable, but yet they seem to fail to be practical. We know some people who have the gift of faith. Of course, we all have faith. We all believe in Jesus. We come up to the table. And we but there's some of those people that we get around that seem to believe it with such an unwavering steadfastness that they inspire me to believe too. That when all looks really dark, they still hold on to the light of hope. I think those people have the gift of faith, not just an ordinary faith or mental ascent, but a faith which is the steals the will and gives people courage to take action. We all know that when we look at the scriptures, we would sometimes wish, where's all the healings that were like, you know, God, if you would just do one of those healings, then I would, I would have no problems believing. If you would just find somebody with like a withered arm and just make it kind of extend in front of me, that'd be cool. Because then I could know that you're for real. First of all, let me just assure you, the people who did see those miracles that are uh, uh, accounted for in the Gospels did see, did observe, and did turn on Jesus later. So just because you're a witness to the miraculous does not mean that you have faith in Jesus. Just because you witness the, 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 the mighty works of God does not mean you have a transformed heart towards Christ. I'll give you another example. 
There's all the people who came to hear the teaching, and they loved the teaching. They thought the teaching was wonderful. And again, with a world without TikTok and, and Instagram and cell phones to amuse you, you follow who's the new speaker in town. And people flocked to him, and they, they hoarded around him, and they heard some messages, and they, they wanted to create an army to overthrow Rome, and they were all excited about it. And then it got to dinner time, and then they got distracted from the overthrowing Rome by, by grumbling about no dinner. And so what did Jesus do? Did anybody bring some food? And luckily, a, one little boy had his lunch pail. And what did he do? He broke it, giving thanks, and he fed the multitudes. Do you realize how many people said Jesus hands out meals? They followed for the food, not for their Savior. So I just want to assure you that if you've ever sat back and thought, boy, God, if you would only just do this kind of a miracle in front of me, then I would never doubt again. One, if he does do that miracle in front of you, congratulations. Enjoy it. Two, you'll still have doubts. Just like the people who were delivered out of Egypt and crossed through the Red Sea and then the armies were swallowed up, still said, well, well, well did he just bring us out here to die? We have short memories. We have short attention spans. A miracle does not give faith. It just props it up and gives it some assurance. So God does give the gift of healings, and he does do the gift of miracles, even today. So let us not lean into our modernist, scientific, cynical sensibilities where we say, prove it. Or where we take a look at the casting out of a spirit and say, oh, they must have had epilepsy. Let us just... Let let us take the scripture at its word and let us take God at his presence that he is able to do things within the nature of, of, of the physical realm that he created and he's able to do things outside of the realm that he created because he's able to do so. And then we move on that some are given the gift of prophecy. Now, again, prophecy in our day and age, might, we might think about predicting who's going to win the World Series. We already know it. It's the Phillies. All right, I'm really optimistic. I'm really hopeful. But that's not what the prophets of old were doing. They weren't forecasting. Um, I, I read this, and I thought it was pretty cool. Um, prophecy is more forth-telling than foretelling. Maybe it's better read. He's more forth-telling. This is what God is about. This is what God says in this moment. This is how God sees where we're at and what we ought to do than foretelling this is what's going to happen. William Barclay said that the prophets are those who live so close to God that they know his mind and his heart and his will and can also make it known to others. Oh, may I ever be found to be such a person who lives so close to God that I know his mind and his heart and his will and can help make it known to others. That's probably a good daily prayer to start your day with. Prophets will sometimes bring rebuke and warning, but they will also bring advice and guidance. Clearly, someone who's going to bring you a warning and guidance, you want to be gifted by God himself. Then you come across the people who are, that Paul mentions who are gifted with the ability to discern different spirits. And I think that goes back to that litmus test in verse 3. What is the power by which you are doing what you're doing? What is the source by which you are saying what you're saying? Again, they couldn't just say, open up to John chapter 3, right? Because John chapter 3 hadn't even been written yet. And only a few of these letters had been written. 
And they weren't canonized, and they weren't collected, and they weren't distributed, they weren't printed, they weren't multiplied. So very few people had any other scripture other than whatever Old Testament text they had at the local synagogue. So how did they know what God wanted? They had the confessions. They had the church. They had the witness, the testimonies. And they had the prophetic word that God gave. So how did you know whether this person was from God or not? Well, by their reputation, by who sent them. By did, does their message match the message that we'd already received? Sure. But you needed some people gifted by God to discern the difference between those who are from God and those who are against. Because we all know that when we look at the wheat and the tares, the weeds look an awful lot like wheat, don't they? We know that in, for us today, when we want to follow Jesus, that there's people who use the words of Jesus, they use the scriptures, they use Christian identity for their own means, for their own power, for their own uh, glorification. We can't rely on just the fact that they use scripture. They must be from God, right? Because if we're that simple, we're going to be tossed to and fro from, by every wind of teaching. Then we get to the one. This is the one that everybody was all excited about in Corinth. They wanted the languages. They wanted the tongues. They wanted the interpretation. Now, one of the stories that I'd heard, my friends went to this big music worship event over in England. They traveled from New Jersey to England, a whole group of them. And it was a very charismatic expression. And this was one of my elders was telling me this story. And he's, while he's a great storyteller, he's not a liar or an exaggerator. And they were all sitting there, and up in the front, apparently somebody was speaking in tongues, which was fairly common at this charismatic event. And they asked from the, from the stand, like, does anybody have an interpretation? And nobody did. Later on, everything dispelled, and my friends were all in their group back in their tents, their area, and so they started talking about, remember when, when, when Mike did this up on the stage? And Bob, and I'll tell you, Bob is one of those guys, he's a great guy, he's a good guy, but he's not one of those guys you'd say is the most spiritual guy. He's the least likely you would pick to be the one that the Lord might use, is what I'm trying to say. Bob goes, wait, when did that happen? Did you fall asleep? No, I was awake the whole time. No, when he sat up there and he was speaking in tongues, like, I never heard Mike speak in tongues. What do you mean? Well, he was saying this. So they rushed him to go say, Mike, by the way, this is, we found your interpreter. Okay, so I have never experienced that in my life. And I'm kind of nervous to try to experience it. I've honestly asked the Lord, don't put me in that situation so I don't have to figure out what to do with it, Lord. But I, can, you can understand why hearing that, somebody might want to experience that. You might understand why, if, 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 if a healing occurred or a tongues was professed, Lord, I, I do want to see that because that would give me an assurance. That would give me an encouragement. So you can understand why the Corinthian church was really excited about tongues and interpretation. But you'll notice he put it at the bottom of the list. Because what's important about the gifts? Verse 7 now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given 
for the common good. That is the most important thing. If the Lord knew that we needed a prophetic word today through the form of tongues and interpretation, do you think that we could stop the Lord from providing that here in a Presbyterian, very controlled, cultured church? Seriously, could, let's, let's be honest. Could the Lord stop that if that was what he wanted to manifest this morning? We could not stop it. And if the Lord has not chosen to manifest that among us, then we must not need that today. That's all I can configure. If the Lord has not chosen to heal our loved one that we prayed for and they passed, was that that he was like not listening or not caring? What if the Lord actually chose to heal through modern medical means, which we take so much for granted, but are little miracles in and of themselves that God has allowed us and used? I remember just thinking through that um, as I was preparing for this and thinking about healing and thinking about miracles, and I was brought back to my first reading of screw tape letters from C.S. Lewis, where the one uncle was training the, young, the younger and saying, oh yeah, there were times where we did a lot more flashy signs and wonders, but now it's even better. We convince them that we don't exist. If you ever wonder why is it there's not all these wonderful signs and wonders or even the attacks of the demonic, maybe the attacks are very common so common that we don't identify them as the supernatural. Because if you start seeing acts of the evil one, you start recognizing that there needs to be a holy one. But the Lord wants to, uh, the evil one wants to dumb us down into a world where we don't believe anything's real. And all we have is today and tomorrow, eat and drink, enjoy, so then we die. I listened to a gentleman who was lamenting the loss of his son on a podcast. It was beautiful. But he says, I don't know what happened to him, and I kind of don't want to. I felt sad for him. I felt sad for him that he doesn't have any knowledge or assurance that God loves him and that God is out there. Now, he happened to be on a podcast with a theologian, and she did inform him and said, if you ever, I'm kind of a professional answer giver on that area, if you'd like. And they, they laughed. It's interesting to see that sometimes we don't see these manifestations of God's spirit in ways that we read about in the New Testament, maybe because... Well, we're living in a world that's deceived itself to think that the spirits aren't real. I personally just get all confused and I don't know how to discern. I don't think I have the discerning spirits between what is real and what's not. So I just kind of throw my hands up and say, Lord, be praised and let's just walk carefully. Let's walk cautiously through this minefield of looking for the spirit's manifestation. Because I do know that the spirit is manifesting himself very real ways among us. I do know that when we come to the communion table, the Lord is present with us. When we go to the Lord two or more in prayer, the Lord hears us. When we bring food to our neighbor and care for them and check in on them, that is a spiritually present action. Was it? I mean, I just, I just took soup to a neighbor. You took soup to a neighbor who was hurting and who is now healed who was comforted, who encountered love. It doesn't have to be fantastic or made for movies to be the work of the Spirit. Some may not want gifts of the Spirit. Life is busy enough, right? <clears throat> I, too, have actually at times said, Lord, I don't, I don't have the bandwidth to process 
what you might do with us here. Now, some of us may resist this because we haven't been given what we desire. Some of us may want that gift of teaching. Some of us may want that gift of leadership. Because we've elevated some gifts as being more important than the other. It begs the, it begs the truth of the body of Christ. If you know this text, uh, the passage right after where we stopped reading, Paul goes into this big analogy of saying, is the hand greater than the foot? Is the ear greater than the mouth? Don't we need all the parts of the body to work together so that we function well? And you know what it's like when one part of your body doesn't function well. If you've ever had like, a problem with your foot, like plantar fasciitis or something like that, you know that it throws off your entire world, right? So friends, I want to ask you, are all given gifts in the church? Do we believe that? Do you believe that every person in Christ is gifted by God to play a role for the common good of the church and the community around that church? Because if you believe that to be true, then you are in line with what the scripture tells us. And if you believe that to be true, then you two are gifted by God. Not you were gifted, because you were. Not that you're going to be gifted, because you will. But that you are gifted today, here, now. All Christians are important to the life of the church. I, need to, I, I don't think I can stress that enough. Because so often we feel that the important roles are the ones that stand up front. One's playing music behind the wall. Ones who are running the sound and the video. And after that, everybody else is just a spectator? Oh, heavens no. We're the servants so that you might be able to do and unleash all your gifts, like all the parts of the body, so that we may function and thrive and bring life not only inside these walls, but way beyond. Every gift is a gift from the same spirit and is designed not, not for the glory of the individual, but, but for the good of the whole and to the glory of the Father. So I just want to close and ask you these questions. What are your talents that are God-given? What are your talents that are God-given? And... Following up on that, are you aware of your importance to this church today? What are you contributing to the life of the church? Now, this is not where I'm saying beat yourself up or I'm not doing much. No, take a look and see what you are doing. And be grateful for that moment and thank God for that ability with what you brought to the church today. Again, if you weren't even here, think about how awkward it would be me standing talking to an empty room. Think about how awkward it would be if we only had the musicians, the singers, and the soundboard person. Do, do we even do church? Think about it, what it would be if we, had an, if we were trying to sing praises to our king, but the choir didn't show up. Think about how your neighbor would be if when we were greeting one another and passing the peace, if you weren't there to give them a hello and let them know that they're seen and ask them about their day and let them know that you have a place where you belong. No matter how hard your week has been or how hard the next week will be, you have a place where you are seen and known by name and belong. 
You are loved. I don't make you feel that way. You make each other know that you are seen and loved. What are you contributing to the life of the church? Here's a question. Where would you like to serve? How would you like to participate? What isn't happening in the life of our church that you think God might want you to participate and help starting? What would you like to do? You see, as we're forming our vision team, we're going to be asking questions, very broad meta questions about the life of this church. But even aside from being part of the vision team, I need to ask you, how has God gifted you and what do you want to do? How's God made you? What is on your heart? What do you like? What are you good at? What do you think would be cool if we did? And if you're waiting for somebody else to start it, maybe it's on you to start. I just heard a story of one of our sister churches out in central PA. They wouldn't have done anything if the guy hadn't stood up and said, oh, I'll, I don't want to lead it, but I'll go on a trip to help out at Katrina. Well, nobody else stood up. You heard about that. I think I've told you that one before. 26 trips later and 15 years of changing the culture of hundreds of people. Why? Because someone stood up and said, oh, I don't want to lead it, but I'll help. Nah, well, God had different plans. What do you want to do? What do you like to do? I remember once there was a group of ladies that ministered to people by getting together every Saturday morning and crocheting prayer shawls, prayer blankets. Now, I was a young minister. I was kind of a hothead then. I thought, this is ridiculous. This is absurd. It's, this is just some friends getting together and crocheting and talking and, and, and whatever, Right? Until, until my father-in-law was fighting cancer again. And these ladies heard about it. We didn't go to them or ask them. They heard about it. And they sent him, they sent him a, a prayer shawl and told them that they'd been praying for him. My father-in-law wasn't a believer. He didn't have an active faith in Christ. He did not have a community looking out for him. And then he received in the mail a blanket. And because of chemotherapy, his feet were cold. So he wrapped that blanket and he wept. And I tell you, and I want to weep. No idea is too, well, some maybe, but by and large, no idea is too strange. No idea is too small. Church, God gifts his people with what they need in the moment that they need it. So I ask you again, what do you like to do? What do you think God wants you to do? What do you need to take off your plate so you can do what God's calling you to do? The last question I have is, how can I help you do it? Lord, would you be with us this morning as you said you would? Would you guide us and lead us as we think about how we participate in this church? And Lord, we pray that you would um, just give us courage to hear Give us courage to believe that we have leading from you. Lord, if, we're, if we don't have leading, let us wrestle with you and beg and call out. Lord, help us to know what our role is in your church. In the meantime, Lord, help us to be faithful 
with where you've put us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.